Elisa Vitti is a functional nutrition and women's hormone expert who's been featured in the New York Times. She's the founder of modern hormone healthcare company Flow Living, the best-selling author of Woman Code, and the creator of MyFlow. Her latest must-read book is called In the Flow, and she's also the instructor in our amazing Mind Body Green class, The Ultimate Guide to a Healthy Period. Elisa, welcome. Hey, Jason. Great to be here. Congrats on the new book, Thank In the you. Flow. Thank you. So for people who aren't familiar and, and didn't listen to the previous podcast you did with us last year, let's start with your personal wellness journey and what got you interested in this space? In women's hormones? Yes. Well, of course. The my, space. The space. My own hormonal problems, you know, obviously opened my eyes to um, the limitations in conventional treatment for women with chronic GYN issues. So, you know, in my early 20s, I was dealing with obesity and acne and missing periods and depression and anxiety. And, and it had been progressively getting worse for seven years and was just completely unsupported, was not getting a diagnosis. Then when I did finally get a diagnosis, which I helped my doctor make for me, um, the treatment options were not actually going to fix what was wrong. And I was told to expect that things would get progressively worse, even with taking, you know, medication. And that just seemed, you know, like we should have a better option. So I decided to switch gears a little bit and began really doing a lot of research and study into functional nutrition and epigenetics and chronobiology and hormones. And, and here we are 20 years later. (laughs) So what do you think the medical establishment, if you will, has gotten so so wrong about the cycle and yeah what what <laughs> what's going on yeah what's going on because I what I love about you you know you kind of just you know you're not a doctor you just went in and you started researching and digging and along the, along this you know journey you kind of said you're like well, why isn't anyone else seeing this I'm just a regular person on a journey <laughs> figuring all this out now I'm becoming the expert like wake up guys well I mean listen I I think that. Uh, there's a little bit of gender bias in the research, always has been. Actually, in 1996, uh, the National Institute of Health really looked at the state of affairs with women being represented in clinical trials and were concerned that, you know, the doses of medication that are being prescribed to women are based basically on as if they are smaller men, and they knew that that was dangerous. Mm-hmm. So they put out a special task force committee to say, hey, can you please include more women in clinical trials? And in 2016, the status report, uh, progress reports showed that the progress was slim to none. So there is this assumption being made that incorporating the, uh, the cycle into studies is too complex. But I think that argument falls short when we look at the fact that now there's been extensive research being done on the circadian rhythm, which is, you know, all of the different fluctuations within a day, um, equally complex. I think there's just something there that um, we just have to break through as a culture to say that we want to equally study different biological rhythms. So we're going to come back to the rhythm because that's the theme of your your latest and greatest book. Um, but what, what I think resonates with so many people with your approach is comes down to lifestyle. There, there's so much you talk about with lifestyle. And so when I think of lifestyle, one of the things that comes to mind here at Mind Buddy Green is food. What are some of the best and worst foods, in your opinion? For women's hormones? You got it. You well, got it. you know, and, and, 
No, for you know, for Friday night dinner. Friday night dinner. Well, and I will say the one other thing that I think um, we're getting wrong with women's hormones in general is that we are looking at all the symptoms in this disconnected way and saying, "Oh, I'm going to treat the weight issues, or we're going to address the skin and use a cream or a pill to." to address all these different factors when really the body function as a systemic whole unit Mm -hmm. and you've got to get to the root cause which food and lifestyle is really the best tool that we have to address that so which foods are great i mean what i've learned in my research is that there are many foods that are excellent it's about when you have them that is the key and that's why i felt so compelled to write the second book was because From where I sit, having been working now with women at Flow Living for almost 20 years, and with the rise and increase in wellness content for all of us to have access to at our fingertips, women are actually sicker than ever before from a hormonal point of view. Over 50% of women are struggling with their hormones. Wow. It's not getting better. You know, we we our company has grown year over year, right? And if if the logic was with more information, if you're doing your job, you shouldn't be. Well, no, I'm saying if we are <laughs> right. all getting more educated as a right. consumer base, then we should all be getting healthier. Mm-hmm. But but that's not the case. So I was asking that question. Well, why why is it that women are not getting healthier? And um, it has to do with this biological rhythm that you know I I've put into 400 pages in this book really explaining that it's the key for you to really unlock your true health and potential in your body and in your life because it's the timing. So for example, one could say, oh, well, sweet potatoes are great all the time. And they they are. However, you don't need as much carbohydrate in the first half of your cycle as you do in the second half because your metabolism changes dramatically from the first half to the second. So the first half of the cycle, your metabolism is slower. Mm -hmm. You can get away with less caloric intake and you can do more intense fitness at this time, which will yield metabolically um, greater lean muscle mass acquisition and Uh, more fat loss if that's something that you need. You'll be using your fat stores more efficiently if you don't need to lose weight. In the second half of your cycle, metabolism speeds up. So you need to be using carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates strategically to keep blood sugar stable. And you have to change your workouts. If you do that same high intensity interval training in the first half of your cycle and then bring that into the second half, studies show that you will turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting. So this whole concept that we've been fed as women, which is, you know, intermittent fasting, high intensity interval training, it's good for you, do it all the time, is not true for Mm -hmm. women with an active infradian rhythm, which is the biological rhythm that I'm introducing in in the flow. Well, specifically with intermittent fasting, from what we've heard from people on here, uh, very nuanced with women, to your point, and also women specifically below a certain percentage of body fat can well, become actually, dangerous. The, the studies show that, uh, so the studies are being done for intermittent fasting on men and postmenopausal women. So if you're a male <laughs> or if you're postmenopausal, you should definitely do intermittent fasting because all of the results of the studies that show the improvement in insulin sensitivity and fat loss and cognitive performance and cellular you know, aging protection, all of that you will get. If you're in your reproductive years with an active infradian rhythm, which is this um, rhythm that we experience in the course of our monthly cycle, but it affects six key systems of the body, the brain, the metabolism, the immune system, the microbiome, the stress response system, and the reproductive system. 
right? That's why it's a super root cause support process. If you do intermittent fasting, it gives you the exact opposite results. It worsens insulin sensitivity, it decreases cognitive function, it worsens weight, and oh, by the way, it will shrink your ovaries. All of this in the book. <laughs> so it's <laughs> no, it's an important point because it's it's the what was it the number one search diet in Google this year and high intensity interval training too. It's like yeah. the it's like the golden child of of, right. of workouts, but that's only effective for you. You know. Um, if in your reproductive years, if you're in the first half of your cycle, as soon as you cross past ovulation, you have to stay away from high intensity interval training, or again, you will have the opposite effect. You'll have weight gain, muscle loss, and blood sugar destabilization, as well as increasing cortisol and inflammation. Really, really important that we get the timing right. So it isn't so much what anymore, it's when. So you, you got IF, you, you talked about hit and then the last one on the list if i think of the top three things trending right now the next one's keto oh yeah it's in there it, that's i, I address <laughs> I, I, it in there too of course i i went through everything because I, I wanted to leave no stone unturned you are, you are very thorough i am it's a it's a big book um but of course women if you who've worked with me they'll say on the facebook chats for keto groups that the number one complaint is after a month or two on keto they lose their period and why studies show that for women with an active infradian rhythm ketosis uh, can actually disrupt thyroid to such a point where it can then dysregulate ovulation and stop menstruation. So we have to be very careful. And this is what's exciting now is that the little bit of research that we do have, and and trust me, I put absolutely every bit of research that exists about women in their infradian rhythm in this book so we have it in one place, that that we now need gender-specific forms of biohacking. Right, so we're talking about wellness and optimization. We can. It's not good enough anymore to just say, "Well, this research was done on men and postmenopausal, but I, it should be all right for everybody else." When we now know the studies are showing that it's not, we should be uh, embracing that we are equal, but also different, and that we have to support those differences with correct diet and lifestyle approaches based on our actual biology. And men have one biological rhythm, and women have another, and it's great that we each do what works for us. The power morning is my favorite example of this, if I can just jump in with that, because I will listen to people talk about the power morning. And I have so many women who get so wrapped up and stressed out about, oh no, you know, some days I can wake up at five and then the days where I can't, I just feel like I've failed before the day has even started. Now here's the thing, again, male biological rhythm is so primed because it's 24 hours just like the circadian rhythm. When a man goes to sleep, he makes all the testosterone he's ever gonna make for the next day while he's sleeping. He wakes up with blood serum concentration maximally of testosterone and cortisol first thing in the morning. He falls off a cliff with testosterone and cortisol around three o'clock, which is why biohacking is so popular among guys because you need upgraded coffee, you need nootropics to extend your cognitive performance, your stamina, your energy past that three o'clock threshold. So it makes a lot of sense, given your biological rhythm as a male, to get up as early as you possibly can. Do your high intensity interval training first thing in the morning, do your meditation, do your journaling, and then front load all your deep work and all your meetings before that three o'clock time frame. 
if you are female with an infradian rhythm, this makes zero sense. <laughs> and if you do it in the second half of your cycle where resting levels of cortisol are, are actually higher than in the first half, doing this actually increases your stress decreases your cognitive performance, and increases inflammation for the rest of the day. It is illogical to force yourself to do this power morning uh, just because it's uh, supposed to be a way to succeed. It's only a way to succeed if it works and supports your biological rhythm. So what, what should your ideal look like if you're a woman? I have four morning routines, and they, cha- they, of course, shift based on where I am in the cycle. So in the first half of my cycle, I will do more early morning waking and working out. In the second half of the cycle, I'll wake up at a time that feels comfortable. And keep in mind, women have a more complex brain, so we do need 30 minutes of extra sleep for the brain to do its self-cleaning process than men. Um, So in the second half of the cycle, I will wake up anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour later than in the first half of my cycle, and I will do more gentle movement. I'll keep my heavier workout to midday or later in the afternoon, and I don't see that as a a failure because I know that that's actually optimizing my biochemistry. Mm -hmm. So it's you can still do the same things. It's not the what, it's the when. That's, if I can say sure. that again, it's you can you can meditate, you can work out, you can journal. You just don't have to stress out about front loading it in the beginning of the day because you have more sustained energy as a woman throughout the day, throughout the month, because of your infradian rhythm. You mentioned sleep. Sleep. We have to talk about sleep. Always. <laughs> we all need more. <laughs> so is it that simple? Um, it is, I, you know, I think, I think we're all sleep deprived as a culture. Certainly we're doing too much. And then of course we're disrupting our circadian rhythm by being exposed to things like blue light, but women with an active infradian rhythm as well. Um, again, in the second half of the cycle, you will need more rest and that can come in the form of extra sleep, or it can just come in the form of doing things that decrease or flush cortisol, which could be things like jumping on a trampoline. It could be things like having more orgasm. It could be things like dry brushing your skin, anything that's going to flush cortisol from the body. So we've covered nutrition, we've covered exercise, we've covered sleep, we're moving into the fun category of alcohol. We should also talk about sex. We're going to do the fun category. (laughs) That that, that was next. Um, Start with alcohol. Alcohol leads to sex for a lot of people. So it's a what about alcohol would you like to know, Jason? Well, you tell me. I mean, I think that alcohol, you know, if you're somebody who's hormonally sensitive, it's not worth the blood sugar destabilization that it can cause. Plus, it also puts extra strain on the liver. Um, but if you're someone who is going to drink it, um, it really just depends on how well your body's performing. So here's a great way for you to check. And, you know, I built the MyFlow period tracker so women could understand why they're having symptoms at a given time. So here's a great symptom to help you understand liver congestion. So let's say it's your ovulation phase and you're breaking out. Now during ovulation, you shouldn't be breaking out. Your skin should be glowing, it should be beautiful, you should be your most luminous self, right? But if you're having gnarly breakouts during ovulation, that's a sign that your estrogen is not metabolizing efficiently through the liver. So. You could say that during ovulation, it would be the easiest time to use alcohol because of the estrogen stimulation, you're being brain-wise stimulated with verbal and social centers of the brain, so you're more apt to go out and socialize and Mm -hmm. have that alcohol. But if you're having that breakout and your liver's congested, you're not going to metabolize that alcohol well either. 
and it can be exacerbate your estrogen overload and make the rest of the cycle less optimally functioning as well. So it's really, the, I don't look at things anymore as sort of like a yes or a no. Or white, right. It's really what is the context. Right. And um, if you're thriving, if you're doing well, if your systems are all, you know, like green lights and everything is working, then you can get away with more of that type of indulgence if that's something you want to do. Um, but I think one of the things that happens for people who try to get healthy is once you get healthy, it's like you remember how you didn't feel so good and putting things in your system that would take you back to that place feels a little strange. So a lot of people tend to really ease up on alcohol as they go through their wellness journey. Yeah. And so, something we've mentioned about alcohol on here is, you know, this concept of the, the messy middle, which I like. And so, you know, people tend to fall in three buckets. One is I don't drink. Two is drink too much. And then three is, you know, the messy middle, which is most of the population. It's like, you know, I, I drink, I want to be healthy. How can I do it better? And, you know, whether it was sort of all over the place. And that, that's what I, in terms of the question and managing it, you know, in your opinion, are there in the spirit of the rhythm, like, is there a better time? Are there better options? Yeah, I mean, are certainly, there... yeah, then you're going to look at, like, if you're going to take it in, try to get the highest quality organic wine you can that's sure. low in sugar and sulfites and all that. There's keto wines that you can pick um, that are from small European farms and mm -hmm. all of that. I think we all know now, um, at least the reports came out recently, that most California wines that are commercially produced are heavily um, sprayed with glyphosate. So, you know, you want to be careful. Just like you're choosing organic produce, you'd want to choose organic wines because that's grapes that are can be heavily sprayed um but yeah during the cycle the the best time for you to be imbibing would be during ovulation and then i would say the worst time would be during menstruation got it and so we'll move to the last part of the the fun part the oh, sex, sex part yeah i love this because in my research i uncovered that 60 percent of women are sexually unsatisfied jason and i think that that's a crisis <laughs> you know we're in a crisis of hormonal imbalance we're in a crisis of infertility but it's all connected and we're also having a female crisis in terms of sexual pleasure and when i look at that through the lens of uh chronobiology which is you know looking at the science of, of biological rhythms um to me, it's simply a problem, again, of just not knowing what the timing is because your sexual response changes as your hormones change across the infradian rhythm. And so you may need, you do need, uh, either additional lubricant or and or additional stimulation to achieve pleasurable outcomes. And so knowing that is really key because most women, 60% of women, in fact, find that their um, successful sexual pleasurable outcome is kind of a um, hit or miss, right? right? And they and it, they're conf they're kind of it's like a mystery of like, well, I wonder why that was so fun yesterday and like today, I don't know, it's just not working. It must be me. And this is an important distinction because that's the same um, psychopathology that we have when it comes to fitness and nutrition plans because we think, oh, intermittent fasting, all these wonderful results, I'm doing it, gee, what's up, I'm gaining weight, right. it must be me, or gee, high intensity interval training, it's so great for everybody, I'm doing it every day, I'm just doing it, I'm committing, I'm, you know, pick a slogan, and gee, I don't know, understand, I've gained weight, it must be me, or I know I'm not getting the results everybody else is getting, it must be me, or the same thing with sex, I wonder what it is, it must be me, maybe it's my libido, 
in all of these instances and more, it's not you at all. It's us, guys. No! <laughs> it's just that it's we, women... No, no, no. It's not your fault at all. It's that women... We have been um, unable to access this information, and it's really, I mean, this is, I think, really um, historical for us to understand that we have this infradian rhythm. Um, I mean, I've been a student of biology for a long, long time, and this is the first time I have come across this term, and I think that it's an important thing that we are able to name our biological experience of reality, because without that, most women report to me that they just feel like, yeah, gee, you know, I... I I feel like I'm a different person, but that's I'm probably just hormonal. Well, the fact of the matter is everybody's hormonal 24-7. Men, women, children, mm -hmm. cats, dogs, I don't care. You're no more hormonal than the next person. You just are being told a story that your hormones are a problem when they're really an asset as long as you understand the pattern. And there's a predictable pattern like with your fitness and your metabolism or your micronutrient needs. Um, or with um, what kind of sexual stimulation you're going to need. There's a pattern. It's predictable. You're not crazy and hormonal. And then all you have to do is understand what to do when. Mm -hmm. And since this can feel a little overwhelming, each chapter of the book, you know, the first section of the book is really under, taking the lid off or, or exposing us all to this new concept of the infradian rhythm. But the second section of the book is, you know, chart after chart of, what foods to eat when in the infradian cycle, which workouts to do when. Um, I actually built a time management planner because I wanted to be someone who, I mean, I'm a type A person, you know me for a long time, and I thought, how can I manage my time without incorporating the infradian rhythm? I'm, I know it's going to be setting me up for failure if I only try to operate my planning with the circadian rhythm because I have ovaries. If I had testicles, it would be fine. <laughs> because I have ovaries, I have to have one that incorporates both the circadian rhythm and the infradian rhythm. So I built that time management daily planner. It's in this book. There's, and then the third section of the book really says, well, how do you leverage this knowledge outside of your own personal health? Because for me personally, having lived in alignment with my infradian rhythm for all of these years, um, it's hugely advantageous to take this uh, baseline understanding and apply it into your career, into sex and relationships, and into motherhood. Like, it makes motherhood so much more sustainable. I have a little girl. This pressure to, like, do all the, you know, you have two mm -hmm. kids, right? It's, like, so much busy work, like, all the different details you have to manage and the play dates and the family gatherings and school. And, uh, you know, it can be a lot. It can be a full-time job. But instead of being overwhelmed, you can actually map this out based on your cognitive preferences as you go across the infrared room and just get things done in a way that feels more effortless and reduces stress, which is really well, fun. You brought up stress, and if I think of the broadest definition of rhythm yeah. and what can disrupt rhythm, and, and again, the broadest sense, mm. it is stress. I look at it a little different. I mean, yes, and, yes, and, Jason, <laughs> uh, that, um, that women have uh, unexpected levels of stress as a result of living in a way that is constantly disrupting their infradian rhythm. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, right, over 50% of women are struggling with hormonal issues. Men, it's not even in the same galaxy. Men are not struggling with hormonal problems at this. I, I feel like it's coming up a bit more. Probably, Men don't pay attention to it. It's probably coming up. It's, about it's it not or, half of the population. <laughs> that's no, for it's, sure. it's definitely not. But right. I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to hear Certain, about it a little bit certainly, more. Certainly, certainly. Um, 
But the, the fact of the matter is because we live in a culture that says, okay, everything has to happen within a circadian cycle, mm-hmm. and that also happens to just align with male hormonal biological rhythm with their testosterone production, you're, by virtue of just being in a culture that is oriented around that circadian rhythm, your stress levels are lower fundamentally versus us as women because we are trying to squeeze absolutely everything and doing the wrong workouts at the wrong time and organizing our work in the wrong way in that 24-hour circadian rhythm it is elevating our stress unnecessarily because we're in constant disruption of this infradian process so for me you know how do I do all that I do how do I stay low stress is simply just going with the flow yeah in some ways it sounds like you know the focus on rhythm is going back to the basics a little bit in a good way well i mean i've always been fascinated by you know i think i think i took a tony robbins weekend seminar and i just was really fascinated by this peak flow state concept mm-hmm. and i and i remember experimenting with different things that i was being told would allow me to achieve this peak flow state and none of them gave me those results in fact they made me feel like i was a failure because i couldn't stick with that power morning or my big rocks that i had planned 3 weeks ago or whatever it was and it wasn't until I started really diving into my research on the cycle and on biological rhythms that, that it made sense. I said, oh, I, I was never going to be successful in that way because I had to, inc- if I don't incorporate my infradian rhythm into my organization of my self-care, my work, my life, I'm going to get burned out. I'm going to get mm-hmm. stressed. I'm going to get overwhelmed. And my body is going to present with symptoms of, you know, disruption. So... With regards to science and research, what what's the most interesting, exciting stuff you've read recently? In general? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm so head into this book, so I think yeah. it's been really fascinating to just really look at all of the, um, the distinctions that are being made or that are coming out around diet and fitness and what works for one biological rhythm versus another. I think it's really profound that... You know, we just have to start, I think, and I'm excited to see what could happen in the wellness conversation to say, okay, this study came out on this diet and this study was done on this population, like more transparency in the conversation. And so this, we know, is going to be great for this population. Here's a small study that was done on another population. Let's say it's men and women. And the studies are showing that it's not as effective for women. So take this with a grain of salt. Or, or don't do this exactly as we're suggesting because it's only effective for one gender. I think that's so important that we, as women, really start to get the care that we need because we deserve it. It's the 21st century. It's 2020. Yeah, it's 2020. Come on, like, guys. Like, it's time. <laughs> it's time for um, better health care. And I think this is a full circle thing for me because when I was experiencing my health issues 20 years ago, and I really ran into this lack of health care in a conventional sense, um, I wanted to do something about that. And so now here I am, you know, 20 years later, um, and uh, I'm asking for, again, for us to have more and to have what we deserve as women, which is the right information and a, and a real understanding of what our operating system actually is and what it really needs to thrive. In your discovery process, what's been the most mind-blowing thing where you've said, like, wow, I can't believe 
we're not talking about this or that or... I mean, it's hard to pick, Jason. <laughs> Honestly, that's why the book is so long <laughs> because there's just so much. I mean, in this first section of the book, I, I, I went through the history, for example, of why women have been excluded from medical research. Um, I think it's really important to understand how we've arrived in this situation. Um, that was pretty eye-opening. I think um, a lot of us don't know that most fitness and nutrition research, that the origins of that actually derive from the military and soldiers and supporting them. And so then it turned into, after the wars, a whole different category of just general wellness. Mm. So it's it's fascinating to see sort of like where these things have roots and how it ended up being um, something that uh, may be a little bit skewed in one direction or the other. Um, so as the father of, of two young girls, I I'm know. surrounded in a household of women. So you happy know, why, for you. <laughs> so, uh, where do you want the conversation to be for, for mm. you know, I the next generation? Yeah, I have a little I know, girl too. Kids, I think about it a lot. Like, do you think, what are 15, 20 years from now? Like, do you think we're on the, the cusp here? I, I would like to think so. I think... Um, Putting, having a, a conversation that really clarifies and, and explains the distinctions uh, in a way that hasn't been done before is a huge opportunity. Um, I, I did dedicate this book to my daughter. She's five now. And, you know, people ask me all the time, how are you raising her so that, um, her, you know, she lives into a different future? I think about it a lot. I think it matters, you know, that we model for our children this sensitivity to um, our bodies and our emotions and our well-being and our biological rhythms. And I think that we can start that at young ages in stage and age-appropriate ways. And I think with girls especially, can you imagine? Because I know I've heard every time I go lecture somewhere, gee, Lisa, I wish I had this information before. I wish I had known all of this 10, 20 years ago because women are so present to the opportunity cost once they hear this information of what all of this unnecessary suffering really has been for them. And so wouldn't it be amazing if we could educate young girls at five, at seven, at nine, to prepare them not for their period at seven and nine, but for the fact that soon you're going to have a like a special biological rhythm get activated in your body and that's going to give you all sorts of dynamic exciting you know preferences and interests and to prepare them to be excited about the fact that they have dynamic ever-changing biology as opposed to kind of what we do say which is oh you know the change is coming and that's something to be afraid of and concerned about but really you know it's how I sort of end the book is um, we are dynamic and this idea of trying to be static is what's causing a lot of problems both physically and emotionally for women and we have to embrace the fact that we're dynamic from the beginning and I think if we can educate young girls to be excited about that instead of afraid of it it'd be a whole different future one that I can't even quite fathom but one that really excites me. Amen to that. Mm. Lisa, thanks so much. Congrats on the book. Me. Everyone, if you're interested in all things, anything hormone related, pick up the book in the flow. Thanks, thanks Jason. Everything.